Welcome to episode 16 of Imperfect Progress. I'm your host, Anne Guzman, and I'm really excited to share today's conversation with Dr. Deanna Vamonde. And we're going to talk about exercise, athletes, and fertility in both males and females. And it's a really interesting conversation. I actually learned a lot of interesting things about the role of oxidative stress, trauma, both psychological and to the body, and just about reproductive physiology itself. And they're all really interesting in how they're intertwined with the reproductive health. Dr. Vamonde is a reproductive biologist, and she's also a professor of anatomy and embryology. And she's focused a lot of her research on male fertility in relation to exercise. She has also worked in several infertility clinics, so she has that experience in the field with clients as well as in the lab as a scientist and a professor. And that really gives her an interesting perspective that I enjoyed today because it's very sensitive to the difficulties that couples can face when trying to conceive. And her care for these clients and patients is, you know, really rings through in our conversation. And as you'll learn, exercise and sport are truly our only one piece of the puzzle when it comes to reproductive health. But it's really interesting to learn that they can be an important piece. And in particular for competitive athletes, I found it really interesting. We talked about kind of just a a threshold of volume and intensity that can be problematic in the moment. So I hope you learn as much as I did during this podcast. Uh, And rather than me wax on, let's just step inside and learn from the wonderful Dr. Bamande today. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Vamonde. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And I know it took us a little bit of back and forth to actually have this conversation. So I'm really grateful that we're finally here. And today I'm really interested about the topic of fertility and infertility in athletes. And for several reasons, but one being I've not seen a lot of articles about this in the general media. You know, if I go to research, of course, I can find uh, scientific research on the topic. But even so, it's not uh, it's not very conclusive. And I really wanted to find an expert that could speak to the potential impacts of exercise on the reproductive system. And I've personally known a few athletes who have really struggled with uh, conceiving, which was something that they wanted to do. And through some lifestyle modifications, um, several of those athletes were able to conceive. And I thought that that was very interesting. I didn't know a lot about it, so I started reading more about it myself. Now, of course, there are many other reasons why someone might have infertility or struggles with their reproductive system. So um, I know this is just one prong, but I am very interested to learn from you today how exercise could um, positively or negatively impact uh, one's ability to conceive or fertility both in the male and the female. So thank you so much again. And before we dig into, I guess, the science and some of the things that you're going to share with us today, I'm really curious how you ended up in this field. 
Okay, so, um, well, in a sense, life took me from one place to another. Um, I don't want to get too much into my bio because uh, you have already talked about it. But um, I was um, first interested in becoming a veterinarian. I developed allergies, so I moved to medical school. But I studied in the States, so I did my degree, my bachelor's in biology. And as I was finishing, I got very interested in the aspect of human fertility. So instead of going for medical school, I actually drifted and did a master's of science in biology with emphasis in human reproduction. So I did uh, my studies um, at Old Dominion University and the Jones Institute for Reproductive Medicine. So I did my training and research in the andrology lab. Um, so that's one of the reasons why most of my research is actually done in males, because um, I did train a lot with the andrology part. And then I also have the qualification because when you want to study females, um, you will need the support of a gynecologist. So it entails um, the logistics of it is a little bit different. Um, so that's why I kind of focus myself on the male aspect. Um, and, um, and then I went on to doing my PhD, which I did in sports sciences. So it really was at the point when I had to do my PhD thesis that I said, huh, what am I going to study? Because um, I like exercise and I like the training part of it, but it wasn't my interest to find new ways of improving, you know, muscular performance or any of the other aspects. So I said, what does it really interest me? It's like, well, I went back to fertility. That's what really interests me. I like, you know, human reproduction. And I know I, I like knowing what's interacting there and how you can improve it. So I want to see, okay, what's there with regards to exercise and human reproduction? And I came across some of the um, early studies in the 80s. And um, obviously there were studies, a lot of them were done in females because of the obvious clinical signs like loss of menstruation, um, you know, amenorrhea. And I said, okay, well, what's there in the male? So I came across some of the studies um, of Professor Hackney. Um, I have been a fan of him ever since. And uh, I think he's, he's just uh, great. But um, anyways, going back to the topic, um, I came across those studies and I developed my own research. And uh, I found it so interesting. And it has taken me to give some talks in different uh, conferences and symposiums. And yes, you are absolutely right. There's not a whole lot of um, attention to it in the media, other than maybe some little hikes here and there, um, precisely when it comes to, oh, there's a conference, so they give it a little bit of attention. So some of my research, for example, has been on men's health. Uh, even actually, this is kind of funny, even Playboy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, it's kind of funny, you know, because it's like, okay, you know, you're going to be doing cycling and you might have less sperm. So it kind of, it, it's a little bit catchy, but then the importance of it, which is really um, to make people aware of this interaction, it's really not there. Um, fortunately, after my my studies, some other authors have kind of like jumped onto the topic and there are very good studies done, um, which further support the evidence of what we already had seen. Um, the big thing for me, um, 
in a sense, the big um, pitfall uh, with regards to these studies might be that most of them do not have people from the, both disciplines. So people from um, the human reproduction area and, fee- and people from sports sciences. So some of the research design that I have seen so far, it's either not too accurate from the human reproductive perspective or the exercise perspective. That's a super interesting background. Thank you for that. And I think that makes a lot of sense that those those two areas hadn't or haven't always collaborated in the research. And I can definitely see how that could be problematic. And this is also interesting and important to me because I think that most of us would likely just assume exercise is good for all aspects of health. So for example, in one paper I recall um, that was investigating exercise and reproduction, I had read that exercise could increase ovarian reserves. So I think it's so important to delineate at what point does exercise become potentially problematic for fertility or infertility? And what are the mechanisms leading to this in both females and males? And in particular, I know you're predominantly focused on males. Okay, so you get to the to the point, the interesting point, and I might not have all of the answers right away for you because, um, just like I say, this is a topic that is starting to uh, be explored kind of recently, and there are still not too many studies done on it. Um, but this is what I want, or this is what I could say about it. And one of the things that um, I would like to maybe highlight, uh, there is some tendency now to talk about subfertility um, rather than infertility. And and that's, in a sense, to um, highlight that the person might become pregnant, it might just take longer, they might just have some little um, alteration to the quote-unquote perfect parameters that is what we take um, as a reference for the potential of you know, for the reproductive potential. So, um, and also um, there is an emotional component and and also a psychological component. Um, When you talk to the couples, the, um, the emotional um, struggle that they that they face when they're being told they are infertile or subfertile is pretty big. So there is some tendency nowadays to also use other milder terms um, to not add more stress to the people that are facing these um, reproductive complications. Um, But anyways, going back um, to what you were talking about, I'm not sure I have read and, and, and um, please send me later on the the articles that you have come across with regards ovarian reserve. Um, what I have seen is an improvement with regards to the oocyte quality, which by itself, that's certainly good enough because when we talk about human reproduction, we always have to bear in mind that we have two components here. 
a male with a sperm and a female with the oocyte or egg. And they both, those gametes, um, that's the, the term for the sexual cell, those gametes, they have to be in good health in order to provide with a healthy embryo, uh, first a uh, healthy zygote and then embryo, so that that embryo has the potential to actually implant. So we are talking about, in a sense, it's a step-by-step process because with regards to the female, she has to have good oocytes, but also she has to have good endometrium and good endometrial receptivity because later on the embryo needs to implant into the endometrium. So there are many factors um, that actually are important in this process until we actually have a baby that is uh, at term baby. Could you just define some of the terms that you just discussed, just to lay a foundation for anyone listening who might not be familiar with this type of terminology? Sure. Um, So the oocyte, also called egg, is going to be the sexual, the sex cell, germ cell of the woman. Um, We have uh, a set amount of oocytes, um, actually this comes from a different cell lineage, but we have a set number of these germ cells in the female. In the case of the man, um, the germ cell is the sperm, and this is produced in a cycle that we call the spermatogenic cycle, and this takes place over about 70 days. So they are continuously producing so one of the things um, that also, uh, in a sense, delineates a difference between the man and the woman is how long we can keep going with these two processes. So probably everybody knows that women reach menopause earlier than men reach the andropause, typically. Um, And that is a biological fact. And that is because, just like I said, when we are embryos inside of our mother's womb, if we are female, we already have that number that we're going to have for our whole life. Whereas in the case of the man, they are going to start being produced at puberty. So it's very, in a sense, it's a very different process. The oogenesis, which is the formation of the oocyte, is a little bit different than the spermatogenesis, which is the, pro- the, the process of production of sperm. Thank you for this. That's super useful, as I'm sure you're going to use these terms repeatedly throughout the conversation. So thank you. And if we think about everything you're saying, that last point is super interesting to understand which was that females start life with X amount of eggs. And with the male, you have, starting at puberty, this new sperm every 72 days. So I am curious, what are the factors as far as exercise are concerned that are contributing to altering those oocytes in females and the sperm in males? So there are several aspects to um, relating to sports. And just kind of like I said, uh, I would like to highlight the fact that we need to take into consideration that there are different characteristics to exercise, to sports training, or even physical activity. 
Um, just like I said, some of the pitfalls in the different studies that I have seen, even the ones that relate to IVF and, and say, well, there's no effect on IVF outcome. IVF, by the way, it's in vitro fertilization. Um, that's, that's what I can um, say is that sometimes they lack somebody that knows these differences in exercise. So those different terms um, are going to be provided with the possible differences that we see in the, in the, different, um, in the, in the different studies. So um, it's not the same when somebody is doing a physical activity, which could be, you know, raking leaves, going up the stairs, walking the dog, you know, even just like a little running. Um, it's done with the purpose of just kind of like moving and it has some energy consumption. Um, but it's not certainly going to be negative. Most likely it's not going to be positive either because the stimulus is not big enough. Then we have, um, you know, the, um, uh, physical exercise in which we do have some planning. We do have a purpose, um, and typically it's done to either improve muscle performance or cardiovascular performance or flexibility. So it's going to have a purpose. It's going to have a structure to it. Uh, most likely you are going to do it, you know, three days a week or something like that. But again, it has some sort of structure to it. And obviously the very last is what athletes undergo, which is real sports training. Um, the, the, purpose then it's not even to gain muscular force or strength or flexibility or anything it's to compete and to you know in, in order to you know get to the first place if possible so obviously the demand for that is going to be way higher than for either physical activity or just regular exercise so and and i think um that's one of the things that many or some of the studies do not take into account. Um, so when you talk about positive and negative, just like with everything with regards to um, exercise and sports practice, we have to move within healthy limits, within a, a healthy range. And um, you probably know because I know you work with athletes as well and you're very familiar with um, the whole athlete situation. Most time, most, most, most of the time, they're actually, in a sense, testing their limits. They have a practice that it's not always healthy. And you know that there's going to be um, oxidative stress being produced. That is when our body is functioning, all of our body functions are going to produce some sort of, uh, in a sense, quote unquote, waste products. Uh, we are producing free radicals. We are producing what we call oxy, um, oxidative species. Um, and our own system is going to counteract their actions by having antioxidants. We can have antioxidants that are made by our body. We can have antioxidants through external antioxidant supplementation. But the purpose of them is to counteract those free radicals and oxidative species, uh, reactive oxygen species or reactive nitrogen species. So when we are producing more than what we can uh, counteract with our own systems, we are going to 
uh, be deriving into a oxidative stress situation. And that is going to lead to many different um, pathologies. So in a sense, that's also what happens not only with maybe cardiovascular function of athletes, but also with the reproductive function. One of the things that we need to be aware is the fact that the reproductive function is considered as a secondary function for the person uh, because it's not vital. We don't need to reproduce ourselves. We need to reproduce ourselves if we want to have a baby. We need to reproduce ourselves so that the species can continue. But I don't need to reproduce myself to continue living my own life. So a reproductive system, in a sense, it's very delicate. And whenever there is some sort of um, situation that could put us in danger, is the first one that shuts down because it's not vital for our survival. So um, that's why it, it has um, this very specific environment, this very specific milieu that is so delicate to it. So with the delicate nature of the system, what is it that really tips the scale then? Is there a threshold of volume or a threshold of intensity that you've seen in the research where these become more problematic to reproductive health? Yes. So um, with re I'm going to talk a little bit with regards to males now. Uh, with regards to males, there are several studies that indicate a threshold. One of them was done in the 90s by um, the SOSA, the group of the SOSA. Um, and they established, and this was for runners, they established 100 kilometers per week as a threshold to see at least alterations in the sperm parameters. Now, we have to be aware of one thing. We can, um, there's no real way to determine subfertility or infertility unless you put that person to actually try to have a baby. So obviously we are guided by what we call sperm parameters. In sperm parameters, we analyze the number we analyze the shape of the sperm, uh, which is the morphology. We analyze the velocity, that is how fast they swim, because um, they're going to be deposited in the vagina, and then they have to go through the uterus and the fallopian tube in order to reach to the oocyte. So they do have to swim. They have to move. That's why they have a tail. Um, and also that's why they have mitochondria, so that they can produce the energy that they need for the movement. So um, those are some of the parameters. And then later on, we have also added um, sperm DNA integrity because sometimes you see a very nice looking sperm, but you never really know what the DNA information in it is, um, whether it's altered or not. So um, routinely, some labs will do the sperm DNA fragmentation as well. Some others just kind of like put it a little bit to the side because it's also time consuming. And sometimes um, it doesn't really change the course if you have to do IVF anyways. So, um, but those are kind of like the parameters that we take a look at to determine if potentially the male um, fertility could be compromised. So um, 
in the study of the SOSA, they saw that um, for those runners that were systematically undergoing more than 100 kilometers per week, it seems like at least one of those parameters will be altered. Um, a little bit in line with that, we found in uh, people doing cycling, um, we saw that the cycling kilometers would correlate with alterations in the sperm morphology, which again is the shape of the sperm. Uh, we saw that for 300 kilometers per week, um, which might seem a lot, but uh, there is a lot of uh, professional cyclists, triathletes that will have that cycling volume. So it is certainly something to take into consideration. Um, that is with regards to the um, threshold that we have seen, and both of them actually talk about a volume. Um, so volume is how much of an activity we actually do. And that could be kilometers per week. It could also be hours. Um, so it can be defined in several different ways, but it relates to the amount. Now, also our group has seen that intensity can be also as bad. So if you intensify training periods, and this has also been seen by other uh, groups that have analyzed uh, the behavior of sperm, for example, during competition periods or intensified training or uh, uh, training times. So um, intensity, again, which is another parameter, and that is basically how hard um, you are going to be performing uh, your exercise routine. Uh, intensity can also have an effect on sperm characteristics. Um, we saw that actually, that was uh, my first study that was published in 20, uh, in 2006. And it dealt with the intensity. It actually was over just a period of two weeks. We had young, healthy subjects. Um, and we could see that after two weeks of cycling to exhaustion, the sperm parameters went down significantly. The good news is that at least with that uh, pattern, we could see that after several days, they kind of like recovered. Not, it didn't go quite to baseline, but um, I think if we've had allowed enough time, it would have gone down, it would have gone up again to baseline levels, that is before the training. Now, with athletes, uh, when we talk athletes, it's a very specific and special population because, first of all, they start doing sports training since they are very young. Um, so we don't know, just like I said, with regards to men, this starts at puberty. Obviously, for ethical reasons, it's very hard to get a sperm sample at puberty because they're underage. So we, we have to deal with uh, ethical uh, reasons then. Um, so it might not be very realistic to, to assess that when they start training. So when we see is after years of training and we can tell certainly there seems to be an alteration to the sperm um, parameters. Now, I also have to say, even though I have seen some of these athletes with bad sperm parameters, I also have seen some of them have gotten kids. So um, just like I said, we go with these sperm parameters because it's a guide that tell us that potentially this person could have fertility issues. Um, there are different things that can be done. We can work with um, um, antioxidant supplementation. 
maybe just decreasing the training load can help because just like I said, in the case of the man, they have a different sperm cycle every around 70 to 74 days. So uh, potentially these changes would be reversible. Reversible. That That's my, my own thought. Um, now with regards to the females, um, just like I said, I'm not so much of an expert in the female part, but some of the very recent studies have actually been done with regards to what happens in the in vitro fertilization setting. So basically what they can see is that uh, for regular women who are exercising, it's better that they exercise somewhat. Um, so it's not good to be sedentary. And we also saw that in, in men. Um, that was another of our studies that was published back in 2012. Uh, we could see that sedentary subjects actually had worse semen parameters than men that were physically active. Uh, so certainly there is um, what I call a healthy range of sports activities. Um, so with regards to the, to the women, uh, what, what has been seen in the, IVF, in the IVF setting is that if you are sedentary, it's not good. Most likely when you are sedentary, you probably mm, could be having issues with overweight and obesity, also with diabetes. So, you know, it's the whole lifestyle thing. That's why sometimes these studies are kind of hard to just isolate the exercise component because oftentimes it's a whole lifestyle thing uh, that just involves, you know, I'm not eating healthy, I'm overweight, and I don't like doing exercise. Typically, people who exercise will at least be more conscious, more, more mindful about what they eat and how they eat. Um, so, in human studies, it's kind of hard to isolate these things. So that's why I also love the, uh, the animal model studies because you can isolate the variable you want. <laughs> you can either, you know, fit your mice with like very um, high fat diet and, you know, um, do a model of obesity or a model of diabetes and, and then just see how only exercise is going to, um, it's, it's going to affect either way. It, it's really hard when we talk about human populations because then, and when you talk about fertility, you don't want to induce infertility into anybody. <laughs> so it, it, it's kind of hard to control those situations. But um, nevertheless, I think the information coming from the in vitro fertilization clinics, um, it's at least interesting. Mm -hmm. What they could see, for example, is that about... Um, like a median of 2.8 hours. So something that would say, you know, three times a week, that seems to be a healthy range. And they saw also that moderate exercise was better than vigorous exercise. In fact, it seemed that vigorous exercise for most women would actually be detrimental, except for women who actually were overweight or obese. So... It is very interesting, and we also have to be aware, just like I said, the reproductive system is a quote-unquote secondary system, but it's very delicate. So whatever happens systemically, so, um, you know, all these cardiometabolic diseases are going to have a huge impact on human reproduction. Um, 
oxidative stress will have a huge impact on human reproduction. And I think in the case of athletes, that is the mechanism behind of the alterations that we can find. Um, I mean, it, it's been certainly studied that in, in athletes uh, with a significant sports practice, they will have alterations in the cardiovascular profile. Um, they can also have alterations with regards to the immune system. And I think oxidative stress mediates those, um, those effects. This is all so interesting. You had mentioned when you were talking about the males that there was a threshold of volume where sperm parameters have been seen to be altered. And I'm curious, are those reproductive alterations um, in females also seen with similar volume thresholds? So as, as far as I can recall, um, I have not seen something like a threshold. Again, um, with the in vitro fertilization studies, it has been seeing a possible threshold of five hours per week um, could be somewhat detrimental. But again, that is a very specific setting. We're talking about outcomes in an in vitro fertilization setting in which obviously the people going to that in vitro fertilization is people who already have some alteration in their reproductive potential. Um, just like I said, it's also kind of hard, you know, because they come and there, there could be obesity. So there are many covariables in there. Um, and to be honest, I haven't really looked at the um, animal models for oocyte quality. I have seen uh, that, for example, one of the things that really relates, and again, kind of like going back to your question before about ovarian reserve, I haven't really seen about ovarian reserve, but really more about oocyte competency. So just like I said, when you want to have a baby, you have to have uh, at least a healthy gamete or what we call a healthy or competent gamete. Um, that would be your healthy oocyte and your healthy sperm, or at least to a certain extent. Um, so it seems like those five hours in the IVF setting are important. Um, it seems that going over five hours might be a little bit excessive. But then again, the, the one thing with those studies for me, it's like, okay, five hours at which intensity? So to me, they're lacking a little bit of information there. Um, to be honest, my own thinking would be, you know, if you do five hours of moderate, inten of moderate intensity, you should be fine. That is my own personal belief. Um, so don't, don't take it from a scientific, because uh, I haven't done any research on it. But that is, you know, my educated guess, if that makes sense. And what if we factor into the training and the duration, low energy availability? So we're talking about the amount of energy an athlete has left over after subtracting their energy expenditure from caloric intake. So what's left over to operate the body? If we're thinking about a female athlete, competitive, training 15 hours a week, meeting her energy needs versus another not meeting her energy needs. Could you speak to any research about the impact of losing the menstrual cycle due to this low energy availability or becoming anovulatory, not ovulating, because of the low energy availability? And how or if 
studies have looked at this and correlation or relationship to fertility? Yeah, so that, that is a very interesting question. Certainly, um, when we talk about a uh, low energy availability, just like I said, and, and this, um, it's in a sense kind of obvious. Um, I don't know if maybe that's why it hasn't been maybe studied so much. Um, but when, when you have athletes that for some reason they have low energy availability, the reproductive system is going to shut down. Because again, it's not necessary for survival. So I have so many um, calories. I have this energy. So where am I going to spend it? Well, my vital uh, systems are going to need it. I need to obviously fit my tissues and I need uh, energy for locomotion and need energy for my sports practice. So that's where that energy is going to go. So um, I'm going to be shutting down what I don't need to use. I mean, the body is really intelligent, <laughs> even though it's going to go in a sense against us for the moment of reproduction. So um, so the athletes, uh, and that's not only with regards to reproduction, we know that the athletes also might have um, problems with bone mineral density. Um, and you probably know a whole lot more about that than, than myself. Um, there is a condition called the female uh, athlete triad. And um, it, it does talk about low energy availability, menstrual disturbances, and uh, loss of bone tissue or loss of uh, bone mineral density. So um, there's certainly, uh, you know, if our, uh, it, it's kind of like, well, if I want to buy a house, I will need money. So do I have that money? Do I don't have that money? Where does that money go? If I need to also make some uh, remodeling to the house, well, I will need more money. So I will need to prioritize where my money goes. So that's really what the body does with the energy that it receives through, you know, um, foods and supplements. So that, that's really all it comes to. It is a balance or an imbalance. Do I have enough for all of my bodily functions? If not, where do I have to put the, the amount of energy that I have? I really love this analogy of the house and the money. That's totally awesome. And I've actually, I've not heard it put that way before. So thank you so much for that example. Um, you've made a great point twice now about how delicate secondary functions are. And this is so important for athletes who are listening right now. I think that sometimes it's not really understood that your reproductive function is not actually a priority and all of these other bodily systems are prioritized. And you also mentioned, unfortunately, that bones are in a similar situation, also not prioritized. So even though you're saying there's not necessarily a lot of cause and effect research on reproduction and low energy availability, it seems clearly understood that if you do X, don't meet your caloric needs, probably more chronically, there's a strong likelihood that you're going to negatively impact your reproductive system. Yes. And, and I think um, one of the very important things, and I think it's great that you have this series of podcasts, is to actually uh, bring awareness to the population, bring awareness to the athletes, bring awareness to the coaches that, you know, they're 
training those athletes and and also to people dealing with human reproduction because just like I said when we talk about more trained athletes we're talking about a very specific population um, you know it does not really pertain to the normal population so it is certainly important to be aware of these differences because just like I said they're being exposed to this stimulus, this sports training stimulus, since they are very young. So the reproductive potential can be altered very early on. Um, and you were talking about, you know, anovulation and, and all those terms. And, and I think it's interesting to, to mention what they mean. Um, typically, and that's why I said the early studies, they were focused on the female because it was very easily observable. We know that females, they have a menstrual cycle, typically about every 28 days. And one of the signs, it's because they actually have their menstruation, which is bleeding. So you are bleeding and you are assuming, okay, my reproductive cycle is going fine, uh, especially if it's every 28 days, you can more or less think you should be okay. Um, and that's why also a lot of people don't even think about it until they try to conceive. It's like, oh, what's going on? Um, I have been trying for a whole year and I cannot get pregnant. Uh, so, but you have that sign. Now, what happens sometimes with athletes is that they may lose that menstruation. But sometimes also what happens is that they can have the menstruation. So they have that regular bleeding or maybe irregular. Uh, typically, it's going to be associated with uh, longer than normal menstrual cycles uh, or irregular menstrual cycles. Um, what can happen sometimes is that even though we do have that bleeding, we don't have an ovulation, which is the ovulation is the process by which the mature oocyte is released. So... If we don't have that, the oocyte is not going to be released. It's not going to be ready, obviously, for uh, fertilization. So those are important things that we um, might have to take a look at. And the way to see uh, whether there's an ovulation typically is going to be by checking hormones. This is such an important point that you're making because I've learned that a lot of athletes do believe and I was one of these athletes until I learned more that if you're having a natural period or bleed, everything is okay, reproductive wise. Of course, we're not even talking about athletes on oral cont contraceptives during this conversation. So the messaging is often, if you're having a period, you're super healthy, your reproduction is fine. So the reception is, I'm having my period, so I must be just fine. So what you're saying is really important because it can appear that your reproductive system is perfectly healthy if we use the period as the sole marker. But if you're not ovulating, then that is not the case. And this is something you can definitely check with your physician. And that's important to do. And also with simple ovulation sticks that you can purchase at the pharmacy. Yes. And, and what they do basically is measure hormones. So just like a pregnancy test does, what it measures is our hormone concentration. If it reaches, if it has enough concentration, if it has enough amount of hormone, it will show positive. So yes, um, there are certainly different ways that we can have at least an idea, but obviously, um, you know, oftentimes you at least have like a physical checkup annually 
um, and, and you do blood work and so on. So you might as well just know how your hormones are doing. Sometimes there are also issues with the thyroid. Thyroid will also have a lot of effect on the reproductive system. Um, your stress, your um, what is called the um, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which deals with the uh, sympathetic nervous system and your fight or flight response, um, it's going to be producing cortisol, and that goes also against the HPG axis, which is your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. Um, and that's the term for both in men and, and women. Obviously, in the case of the woman, it will be the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. In the case of the man, it will be the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis. Um, and that axis, it's... Um, it's the functioning at different levels from the brain to the gonad, uh, to the ovary or the testis that is going to regulate how the oocyte and the sperm is going to be produced. Um, another thing, kind of like going back a little bit to oxidative stress, which um, to me, there's enough evidence linking the um, oxidative stress produced as a result of very demanding exercise uh, or sports activity. Um, and, and to me, that's kind of like the big link with the reproductive part. Um, and we can go and talk also about heat and uh, pressure, stress from the saddle and all that. We can touch on that. But um, to me, really, at least substantially, it deals with that oxidative stress. And also another reason, it, it has been seen that this oxidative stress is going to have a big impact on the mitochondria. And just like I said, for example, in the case of the sperm, the mitochondria are going to be producing that energy for the sperm to be able to swim and meet the oocyte. But at the same time, also in the oocyte, we have mitochondria and those mitochondria are very important uh, because they are going to be there until the embryo will put um, to work its own machine. So the very initial stages of embryo development are going to depend entirely on the oocyte information, both in the genes of the oocyte, as well as the mitochondria in the oocyte. So you can imagine that if we are having oxidative stress that is going to impact either the male mitochondria or the female mitochondria, we could have some serious issues with the embryo generated from those two cells. So it's not only having the sperm and the egg, it's the quality of them as well? Absolutely. Is there any evidence to say that you can actually have a baby with poorer health as a result? I realize that may be too difficult of a connection to make, but I'm just curious. Well, uh, I think in a sense, we're already seeing that. Um, and I'm not an epidemiologist, but I could probably foresee that we are seeing more problems in young children that we have ever before. Um, you know, child obesity is, is being a pandemic. It's, it's all over the place. Um, Childhood cancers, I think, are also on the rise. Now, we have to take this with a little bit of, um, um, I would say, we have to be careful in, in what I'm saying here right now, because I do believe there has been some effect that relates to the health of the gametes. But at the same time, 
just like I said, the environment in the human species is so varied. We are so exposed to so many things that it's hard to isolate one effect or the other. Um, so while, while I do believe it does have to do with the health of the gametes that are going to be making that embryo, it's also, well, what's the environment? Um, you know, we are exposed to what we call endocrine disrupting, ag- disrupting agents. That would be another, uh, you know, podcast on itself. But it's it's those chemicals that are going to be affecting an, our own endocrine system. Um, those are known to have, or at least are believed to have, also effect on the reproductive system. Um you, you know, we're exposed to radiations, we're exposed to so many things now. There are like these unhealthy lifestyles, you know, sedentary behaviors. Again, it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Um, so it, it's hard to know where this is going to start. To me, yes, there's an effect of gamete health. How much of it is going to deal with the health of the baby? That's kind of like the, the question. Uh, I don't think we have enough information yet. That's why I say I think we need to take this information carefully um, because we don't have yet enough evidence, um, I think, to to determine how much of the health of the future baby and later on future adult deals with um, the gametes. But I am a firm believer that if you already have some epigenetic changes in either the oocyte or the sperm, something's going to be passed on to the next generation. And a little bit in line with this, um, I was at a conference um, and this was presented, I think it was a study by a group from Harvard. It was um, very surprising to me because it talked about even um, like a traumatic experiences. And I don't know if it was like... Um, early life adversity, or if it was like uh, sexual trauma, I'm not really sure exactly what it was, but it was some sort of uh, something happening early on in the life of that person that through epigenetic changes um, actually alter the configuration of the sperm, not only in that generation, but the next one. So, it, it, yeah, and, and similar things have been seen with regards to psychological trauma, um, physical abuse. So there's more to just the nutrition aspect or the exercise aspect. It's like everything is acting together for that gamete health. And the better the gamete seems like the better the next embryo and better health of the next adult is going to be. Now, obviously, just like I said, there are so many different lifestyle factors intervening because you can have a healthy embryo and healthy newborn, but then if you start feeding them with bad food, if if they become sedentary, obviously the health is going to be suffering from that. Super interesting. So essentially, we're discussing just one of many factors that can impact reproductive health here today and fertility, and then also the potential health of a child. I wanted to just pivot back to something you mentioned in the case that we do have some elite cyclists or triathletes or similar athletes listening. 
You had mentioned circling back to sperm parameters and whether that be the quality, the velocity or concentration. So if we are talking specific to a sport, let's just take cycling as an example. You mentioned temperature and even pressure from the saddle. How does that play into the picture? And what's known about the potentially potentially negative ramifications of these factors on male reproduction? Yes. So, um, well, temperature is known to be... Um, teratogenic, which means um, uh, inducing malformations. So um, in the case of the man, the testicles are outside so that they can have a lower temperature with regards to the abdominal temperature or body temperature. So that means that the proper spermatogenic cycle, it's going to be depending on a temperature that is lower than the body temperature. And that's typically around 1.5 to 2 um, grade centigrade uh, Celsius um, degrees uh, lower than body temperature. So if we cannot keep that, uh, the temperature is going to produce anomalies in the spermatogenic cycle. Uh, so um, if because of exercise, we increase the temperature. Now, typically, if you're running, I wouldn't say temperature would be such a huge issue because we have, I mean, the body, just like I said, by itself, it's pretty smart. We just kind of like go against it. Um, those testicles, if there's heat, they're going to be hanging lower. And that is done by means of a special muscle that is going to either pull the testicles closer to the body or just kind of like relax. And then the testicles are going to be hanging down a little bit lower. So I wouldn't be as concerned with regards to that, but um, there is a condition that it's called varicocele. And that is associated with an increase in the testicular temperature. And it does has been seen, I wouldn't know, um, I would have to be careful because I'm not very good with numbers, but it seems that these varicocele might be a little bit more common in athletes than the regular population. So what happens with varicocele, varicocele just means varicose veins. So those veins that are draining the blood from the testicles, they are going to become bigger, they're going to become more tortuous. So one of the implications of varicocele is a little bit of an increased temperature in the area. And so is that something you would see more in a sport like cycling because of the pressure in the area? So with regards to the cyclists, what's going to happen is that typically they don't have the possibility of the testicles really hanging down. They are they're really being pressed. And, and one thing is the temperature aspect, and the other thing is by itself the pressure and the traumatism. So with regards to cyclists, another thing that could happen, we have important nerves that are getting to the perineal area and the genital area, like for example, the pudendal nerve. So with regards to cyclists, we can, and, and this goes for cyclists, but it also goes for uh, people who do horseback riding, for example. So any saddle sports, basically, um, 
we, we talk about cyclists, but you know, there's also other sports discipline that, that are also going to have the same um, sort of circumstances. So, um, so for them, I think one of the big things would be damage to the pudendal nerve. And that can lead to problems such as erectile dysfunction, for example. So one of the, when we talk about male reproductive uh, potential or male reproduction, we need to, on the one hand, talk about the cell, talk about the sperm, talk about all that process that it's going to give us that, that final cell that is the sperm. Uh, but on the other hand, we also need to talk about the functional or physiological integrity of the penis, which is really um, the organ that it's going to allow for the for depositing the, the sperm onto the, the female body, right? So um, I think for, for me, um, with regards to saddle sports, one thing will be the heat, increasing that heat to the area that it's going to have an effect on the cells, uh, but also that potential damage. And I can also uh, factor in that if we do some trauma to the area, we're going to have inflammation. And when also we have inflammation, we can have oxidative stress. So in a sense, we kind of like go back a little bit to oxidative stress. I think it is very important because um, that's really what you would like to prevent. Um, also in animal models, just like I said before, it's not ethical to purposefully uh, put the people into a position that could create uh, subfertility. But with animal models, we can do all these things in which we can, uh, for once, if we induce fertility issues, we really don't care because unfortunately that's what, you know, animal models are there for. Um, but we can isolate all the different um, variables that would be happening at once when we talk about a human population you know so we can control temperature we can control diet we can control the exercise whether it's volume whether it's intensity it's like we can really do whatever we want in a sense um and, and, and with that i'm not saying you know let's make animals suffer as much less um we have to really be very aware of you know animal models and and we always have to care about them being treated you know how they should be treated you know with respect and taking good care of them and and not imposing more damage than what we strictly need to you know for the scientific purpose so um i think that's also very important because i i have to say i'm one of those people that it's like, uh, do we really need to do this? You know, it's like, I, I feel very sorry for, for the animals when we have to do anything like that to them. So, um, I completely agree. And I do, I understand what you're saying and I can hear that you really do care for animals. Yes. And it's so difficult, right? Because we can learn so much and learn proof of concept for things we can't ethically do in humans. And those are things that could potentially save or improve lives in humans. But yet at the same time, as you're saying, it's important to respect the animals. And in many cases, there's sacrifice of the animals themselves. And 
that's difficult to accept and harder for some people than others, I presume. But I completely agree and think that it's super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we have to be aware and we certainly have to care for animal welfare. Um, just like I said in the beginning, I, I wanted to be a vet. So I'm to me, animals, I mean, there there's something else. They are very important in my life. So um, I always have a hard time when I'm dealing with animal models in a sense because of that. So most of my studies have actually been observational studies and to some extent a little bit of experimentation, but, you know, with like limited amount of time, you know, even if I induce some like transient little fertility issue I don't want it to stay there you know so so we have we have to be careful really what we do with our humans and what we do with our animals no matter what but the one interesting thing with regards to the human sorry to the animal models is that it has been seen and and also in some of the human uh more in the human experiment, we could also see that there is oxidative stress going on. We can see that the antioxidant systems are overflowed and overwhelmed. Uh, we can see a decrease in what it's called to total antioxidant capacity and some of the antioxidant systems such as superoxide dismutase. Uh, that's an enzyme that is an antioxidant enzyme. So we can certainly see that there is some degree of oxidative stress. Um, we can see lipid peroxidation increasing. Uh, so there is certainly enough evidence to, to support the fact that the sports practice, when it's significant enough, is certainly going to produce this oxidative stress, which in turn is going to affect reproduction. And just like I said, really, it's going to affect every system in the body because that's going to go through the blood and it really gets everywhere. So it, it's going to have an effect on different tissues. That's super interesting. And clearly oxidative stress is very important in everything that we're discussing today. And for that reason, it makes a lot of sense, as you said, why athletes could, uh, it could be problematic for athletes for reproduction and for other aspects of health. So thank you for that. I wanted to circle back about something that you mentioned earlier, and that was with the male, you have this cycle of new sperm every 72 days. And with the female, we're born with the eggs we will have for life. So from what I understood, this was somewhat reversible in males, even if you have impacted those sperm parameters you mentioned, since you have that cycling of new sperm. So. Let's say a lot of athletes are listening to this and I'm an athlete or I was an athlete. And when you're in there competing, you know, you love your sport. You're not likely going to stop competing in the heat of your career. So if you're doing your sport and you're loving it, but you're doing a sport with a lot of volume and a lot of intensity and you're thinking at the, in the back of your mind that you want to conceive at some point when you're retired or maybe even as a break within your career, if there's been a lot of excessive volume um, combined with low energy availability, I guess this is, in your opinion, uh, for most athletes, how reversible are all of these effects on the reproductive system? 
Yeah, that that is, I think you got to the very important question. Um, and I have to say, we don't really have enough evidence. Um, I think it should be reversible. Um, it, it Just like I said, it really depends um, when you actually started with the training, um, how long you have been training, how hard you have been training. I think there are like many aspects to that. Um, granted, in the case, for example, of the female and going a little bit back to the low energy availability, if it all were involving low energy availability, the moment that you restore, you should be fine. Um, to me, it really comes to it kind of boils down to which cells are you affecting? Just like I said, both in the testis and in the ovary, you have what we call the germ cell lineage. Um, that means that your oocyte is going to come, kind of like you come from your mom and from your grandma and so on. Well, the oocyte is going to come from several, not from several, it's one cell that gives rise to another cell and to another cell and to another cell until we get the mature oocyte. Um, that initial cell in the case of the female is called the oogonia. So if we affect the oogonia, I don't think we would really be able to reverse anything. So as long as we keep our oogonia healthy, that they can still give rise to a healthy oocyte, you should be able to reverse anything. Um, and the same thing kind of goes also for the sperm. Um, that quote unquote, first cell would be the spermatogonia. So if we affect the spermatogonia to the point that it loses its um, functionality, then I don't think we could recover anything. Now, granted, when we talk about the testes, we don't only have one oogonia, we have many. So even if we lose some of our oogonia, we can still be fine. Uh, sorry, I, and I said oogonia in this case, and I was talking about males. So that would be a spermatogonia. So no matter if it's female or male, if we lose some of those primordial germ cells, um, then we should still be fine. So um, my suggestion would be, obviously, first of all, do not freak out uh, because just like you said, when you're an athlete, you're enjoying it, you're doing it, you're not going to stop it. Um, so, but if you know that at some point you want to have kids, maybe just do just like I said, some hormonal testing, just kind of see how things are going and developing. Um, just, um, as I said, basically having this awareness of what can happen um, and, you know, potentially, you know, checking that your energy availability is good enough and just kind of like keeping an eye on it. Thank you for that answer. This has all been so super insightful for me. And I'm sure for people listening, everyone will learn a lot from our conversation today. It sounds like there's a lot of work still to be done in this area and, and still much more to learn, as is always the case with science. And I found this really interesting. You've touched on some elements uh, that were new to me for sure. Many people might have a bit of an understanding that nutrition and training can impact reproductive system, but you mentioned even the epigenetic impacts of early life trauma and several times touched on the role of oxidative stress and reproductive health. 
So it feels like there's an umbrella of factors that need to be considered, of course, when discussing fertility. But overall, thank you so much. This has been really eye-opening to me. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to go into such detail and then explaining parts of the reproductive system to help myself and listeners to really connect with what you were saying instead of getting lost in the uh, verbiage. And for anyone who's listening and is interested in learning more about fertility, I know you just published a book called Fertility, Pregnancy and Wellness, which I'm sure is a lot more in depth and huge congratulations on this. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll definitely be posting a link to this in the show notes. So at this point, I just want to pivot to the last question of the podcast, which takes us on a more personal turn. And I named my podcast Imperfect Progress, mostly because whether it's science, life, relationships, or education, I've really come to learn that progress is simply rarely linear. And there's always obstacles that we have to face. And you are a scientist, you're a mother, a daughter, an academic, a businesswoman, you have so much going on and you've come so far that, of course, I have no doubt that you've faced a lot of adversity um, so far. And sometimes when we hear how others have navigated difficult times, I really feel like, like for me, like if I hear someone else and how they made it through something, sometimes I can really resonate with parts of that. And perhaps that will be the case for either myself today listening or somebody else. So I would love to ask you, how have you and how do you overcome obstacles? And what is it that you say to yourself when you're faced with imperfect progress? <laughs> that That's a very, very interesting question because that's kind of like where I find myself right now. Um, I moved out to, uh, I moved to a new experience during COVID and that was very, very challenging. I moved from Spain to the United States for one year. Um, and it, it certainly, the experience has proven to be very, very challenging. Um, it has been great for my daughter, but my son actually stayed in Spain because, uh, he's old enough and he's in college and he didn't want to come to this new adventure. So, it, it has been proven probably one of the most challenging of my life. Um, there are moments that you kind of like just break down and cry and you don't know what to do and you feel lost. Um, I do have some, I guess, um, very strong innate drive within myself. And I, it's like, keep moving forward. I mean, that's what I tell myself all of the, all of the time. So what I do in these times, because uh, sometimes you feel like, you know what, I'm back to square one. What's going on? Um, you know, and just like you said, time is not linear. It looks like it's a spiral or a circle. You know, it's like, uh, why am I back here? <laughs> or, you know, this, the, I have kind of like lived through this before. So why am I back here? So, yes, I totally get where you come from. Um, like I said, I mean, <laughs> that uh, question, um, it, it, can allow me to reflect on my what I'm living right now. So it's it's very on to the point right now. Um, so what I always try to do is look at all of the positive things, um, either along the way. Okay, so what I have gotten so far, um, 
even through adversity, there's still good things, you know, kind of like focus on the positive. There's always people supporting you. Just like I said, um, um, with regards to this book, it has been a blessing, but it's also been a lot of hard work because we were also dealing with this book in the middle of COVID. So it's been um, challenging. It's an edited book. So there's many authors contributing to it. And we had many hiccups, I have to say. Uh, but I always had the support of my co-editors, always had the support of uh, Professor Hackney, who is one of the co-editors, and Professor Garcia Manso, who is the other one. So um, I always felt their support, um, even through the adversity. And not only with regards to the book, but also all these um, challenging situations that I have faced coming to the United States. Um, I have also looked to make, in a sense, what I call my happy place, um, you know, my my little comforting place. Um, I'm a person that needs a lot of water. Uh, I cannot always go to the water. So what did I do? I bring in like an inside fountain. So I put that in my home. Um, so um, I also have several pets, um, which to me, they're very comforting as well. They nurture me a lot. Um, you don't need to talk to them or anything. You know, they're just there and they give them their love and support. So it's really about uh, finding those things that are kind of like anchoring and keeping your strength going, you know, reminding you your worth, reminding you you can do it, uh, reminding you there's always a next day, you know, sun always comes up. Um so, yeah, there are moments that you just kind of like need to break down and vent and rant and all that. Um, but after you're done with that, it's okay. I'm going to be putting my big girl's pants or my big girl's skirt and I'm going to get going, you know, because I've come this far and I know I have done so many things and I know I can keep doing it, you know. So, granted, each, each phase just kind of has different challenges um, that you have to face. Um, as you said, I'm also a mother. I'm a researcher, a professor. I have been a clinical embryologist. And each phase has had its, um, you know, challenges all along. Um, one of the things to me that made it a little bit harder now is because my kids are growing up. Um, and I've had to do also so much work that kind of like, in a sense, time has flown by. So... But, you know, it's just another phase. So that's why I kind of like say to myself, um, you know, just find the positive things because every situation has the positive things, um, even if it's just a learning experience uh, and keep moving forward, you know, keep moving forward. That's it. I love this. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really inspired by everything that you've done and that you're doing. and just like you said, which really resonated with me, you know, sometimes it is hard and you crack a little bit, but I can hear that you have that resilience in your voice. And as you said, you just have to keep moving forward. And you seem to have a bit of a trust that you're going to find your way and whatever is meant for you is out there for you. And I think that that's really beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing this. And if anyone wants to learn more about you or follow you on social media, um, or do you have any recommended resources for exercise and fertility, um, where can people find you on social media and what resources would you recommend? 
So, uh, well, obviously they can um, go and look for them um, to like scientific papers. I'm not very active, um, at least yet. We have this plan of putting up uh, some resources, but we haven't really had much time to do it because we were very involved with the book. Um, but it is our intent to create something out there to keep, you know, increasing awareness on all of these topics. Um, right now, I just have LinkedIn and ResearchGate. Um, I can give you my email address in case that you want to uh, maybe put it into your webpage. Um, but yeah, for right now, basically, it's just ResearchGate and LinkedIn. Okay, great. So I'll put that in the show notes as well and a link to your new book for anyone interested, which I highly recommend. And once again, that's Fertility, Pregnancy, and Wellness. And I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to connect with me. You're very welcome. It was really important to me that I found an expert who could help me get this information out to people in the athletic population, since a lot of it, as you said, sits in ResearchGate, which is great for scientists, but not everyone is reading those studies. Absolutely. And and I think you are absolutely right. Um, that's why we were also talking about it. Um, you know, it's hard when you have to teach and you have to do research to try to give it some attention. And, and what we recognize um, that part of our mission is to, you know, um, have people gain awareness. Um, sometimes, it, you know, we have to prioritize some other things because sometimes we're also in kind of like survival mode, <laughs> you know. I, I don't want to know how my reproductive system is. Thank God I already have two kids. But, um, but yes, um, it's certainly one thing that we would love to, to do. And just like you said, this, this whole year, COVID um, has been challenging um, um, absolutely a lot. Um, the book has actually been delayed a little bit. So also, um, I would like to acknowledge the support that we have had from Elsevier, which is the publishing company, and uh, Pat Gonzalez, who is the uh, publisher editor. So it's it's been challenging, but I think that book, um, it's based on science. Um, it also has a very integrative approach. So I think it can also provide uh, with uh, reading that is both scientific, but it's also approachable. Um, and that's really what the intent that we have with the book. So I think it can provide with a lot more awareness and information to both professionals and the general public. Well, thank you for writing it. <laughs> well, I hope everybody will enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks so much. You have a great day. <laughs> thank you, Anne. Thank you. You have a great day. That was so interesting. I learned a lot there, so I really appreciated Dr. Vamande's uh, attention to detail. And as I mentioned, it seems like there is still a lot to learn here on this topic. As usual, I think it's super important that if you are struggling with fertility or interested in gaining a better understanding of where your reproductive health sits right now, definitely consult with your physician. Also, empower yourself. Consider reading her book and arriving with some questions and even resources that now you can refer to if you're concerned about how your training schedule may be impacting your reproductive capabilities or just having more knowledge is super empowering. 
So thank you again for listening. I would really love it if you could take one minute right now and head to Apple Podcasts and subscribe and rate to my podcast. And the reason is it's a really great way to get more people listening. And what that means is I get more people learning. And for me, that is why I am doing this. I want to take the science and translate it to the masses from all of these amazing guests and experts. And that way we can make sure people are getting quality information. If you didn't listen through this through my ProKit page, you can head over there and find a full write-up and some resources at the bottom. And also other many great articles and podcast write-ups that are there on sports nutrition and sports science. And that's at theprokit.com forward slash P forward slash Ann Guzman forward slash. And you can also just go and check out theprokit.com and see what the platform is all about. It's a great place to get quality information about training, nutrition, uh, mindset, sports psychology. So super awesome place to land as an athlete. Stay tuned because my next podcast, we're going to be diving into the athlete mindset and steps you can take to work on your mental skills in order to optimize your training, your competition, and your life. So thank you so much for being a part of this community and I will see you back here soon.